Welcome, aloha. Thanks so much for joining us at Think Tech Hawaii, Rule of Law and a New Abnormal. And normal is highly overrated, so abnormal is for us. And for all of you who are kind enough and free-spirited enough to join us, um, both those elements seem to be fairly essential. Uh, today, we're going to talk a little bit about not just power struggles, but power struggles and values. And one of our guests brought up this really important word that has gotten very short shrift. I don't think I've seen it in the media uh, since before the pandemic, and it's the word dignity. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. And to do that, we have with us Tina Patterson, whose insightful idea to actually discuss dignity in the context of all these things, this maelstrom of stuff that's going on. And David Larson, media past chair of the American Bar Association section of dispute resolution and esteemed professor at Mitchell Hamlin School of Law in St. Paul, Minnesota. Ben Davis, professor emeritus from Toledo School of Law and now visiting professor at, uh, is that William and Lee? Washington Lee, yeah. Okay. And who knows where you're going next or do you know yet? Hey, any day, anywhere. It's like the okay. movie, right? Yeah. Uh, everyone, ben, everywhere. Ben is a free agent. This is notice <laughs> to law schools everywhere. Grab this guy. The Jets may have gotten Aaron Rodgers, but we got Ben Davis. So <laughs> come talk to us. We'll put David and Tina in charge of representing Ben and brokering any deals. 15% each of them, right? There we go. Okay. 15% in the midst of it. We're on the, the border of a recession. David, I think we need 25% each. Oh, man. This is this is beginning to sound like Shark Tank. Not both. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's twenty-five for Tina, twenty-five for David, and that's not even counting my finder's fee. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. I'm happy to work for all of you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let me ask an easy question to start us off, and we welcome volunteers. Any of the three of you, is there a place for dignity? in today's power struggles? Well, that question, I, so I would start out by saying, with respect to the people who are fighting the power struggles right now, if I could say that, it's become very apparent that uh, dignities are not a big part of what they're doing. That uh, they, uh, you can pick so many different areas where it's the talking point uh, that is outlandish that people are perfectly willing to say, right? And we see a lot of that where you say, really? I mean, come on, man, really? Uh, but people try to say these things with a straight face. And uh, then the, the, I mean, there's so many places that, uh, are things that are going on that are about sort of human dignity attacking them. You know, what is it, the drag queen law in Tennessee or 
or think of bills against LGBTQ people and all that. But I think that the goal of those kinds of efforts is to have people be distracted by these things and not focus on things like, oh, I don't know, regulating the banks or uh, regulating uh, railroads or uh, making sure that food is safe, all those kinds of things. In other words, to keep people from, keep uh, government or uh, federal or state government from doing sort of those types of tasks, we're going to get everyone distracted over here by raising all of these uh, red herrings, if I could say it like that. And that seems to be the strategy that's here. Yeah, Chuck, yeah, the question asked, is there a place for dignity, um, which is a different question of whether there is dignity. Um, yeah, of course, there's a place for dignity. Um, you know, we have legislative processes around the country and, um, you know, there's protocols and procedures and within those protocols and procedures, there's obviously places for dignity. Um, you know, you can have a harangue and you can make it very personal and you can have a rant or you can have a respectful conversation. So I guess as a lead question, is there a place for dignity? Absolutely, there's a place for it. The second question is, where has it gone? And I think that's what Ben's getting into is, is, is that it's disappeared because people have decided that an effective way to get what they want is to distract and divert. And, um, you know, if we can amygdala hijack and get people reacting emotionally instead of intellectually and rationally, um, we might be able to achieve our goals. No, and that's a great insight. Tina, your thoughts? I have to say I agree with David. I'll take it one step further. Your question, is there a place for dignity? I think the reason that we're seeing some of these power struggles is because underlying it is this idea of in order for me to be successful, I have got to make you lose face. I have got to humiliate you. I have got to make you appear less than. And so the, the dignity is underlying, but it's it's literally stripped out of the conversation. And it becomes a, a, a conversation, a, a, a struggle of one-upsmanship. How do I get ahead of you? How do I position myself in a, a way that either sounds more appealing that it attracts the the fear, the underlying concern. So yes, dignity is there, but it, it's literally on the back seat and sometimes literally pushed out of the conversation. Or it's there, and the, the individuals or groups involved recognize it. And the best way to go about moving ahead with one's position is to disgrace the other. Um, and it, you know, it, it's about the other. Who is the other? If you're not with us, you're the other. It's us versus them, and dignity dignity is lost. No, and those are great insights because it sounds like one of the things we're seeing, which is pretty frightening and disheartening, is beyond just the wealth and power struggles, it be, becoming a zero-sum game where those in wealth and power only keep and only gain at the expense of those who are not the excluded, the marginalized, the oppressed. It's now extended beyond that to human treatment, just how you treat people. 
Um, it's never been necessary before. I'm old enough to remember people like Sam Irwin and Bob Dole and Gerald Ford and others who, you know, Hubert Humphrey. I, I don't ever remember any of those people behaving or communicating in a way that I remember coming across as <clears throat> undignified. On the other hand, there are people out there now, I can't think of a time when they did come across as dignified. And they revel in that. As one late night talk show host put it, he said, you know, you, you hear these people say these things and you think to yourself, how stupid do you think we are? And, and they hear you ask that question, they come right back and say the same thing. That's how stupid they think we are. So the question in November, in the even-numbered years, is how stupid are we really? Yeah, I think a, a good question is, where has dignity gone in the age of social media? Um, you know, now we have you know tremendous media coverage, and um, one of the goals is to get as much media coverage as possible. And so what kinds of stories get covered? Well, the outrageous stories get covered. So if you want to get a lot of attention, many people believe that I've got to be outrageous. And um, so that's that becomes my goal. Um, you know, when you talk about dignity, dignity involves respect. And um, and right now we're kind of losing the sense of that. Um, there's a sense that if I can silence certain voices, that's how I can retain my power. And I can do that lots of different ways. And I can I can censor people, for example. Um, you know, we look at what's going to happen in our schools and, and Iowa and other states have had laws that say that you can't teach that the United States is fundamentally or systematically racist. Um, you can't even say anything like that. Um, so there's a real movement now to, to, to censor voices. Uh, so instead of respect and at least listening and evaluating and critiquing and exchanging ideas, the idea is that we are going to eliminate voices. Then um, we can do that lots of different ways. We can do it through legislation that prohibits certain kinds of speech. Um, we can take away votes so people can't vote, make it difficult to vote. We can silence them that way. So when we talk about dignity, I think it, an essential part of dignity is respect for other other voices. And we're seeing movements now that are that are not respecting other voices that are instead trying to silence them. And that reinforces your point, Tina, that hey, for the power elite, if you are different, if you are other, it will be at your expense. It, it will not only be subject to censorship prohibition, but also to pretty severe punishment. 21 Florida legislators have now come out with a bill to make abortion, was it Florida? I think so. Subject to capital punishment. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the prohibition and censorship, it's the extremity of the punishments. And they're put, being put in the hands of a very subjective few, whether they're parents or certain legislators or others, school boards. 
Chuck, where are we headed? Where yeah. are we headed? Um, I think it's seeping. The behavior that you're talking about is seeping um, into other areas. It's seeping into the workplace. It's seeping in, into our economy. Um, I know before we started today's session, we were talking about the failed banks. And the banks that are failing are not the, the ones that are at the national level. They're the ones that are a tier below. And part of that is recognition of what those banks the regulations that are applied to those banks and individuals saying, I want my money and not realizing what their rights are, what their rules are, what the regulations are concerning those banks. I was listening to a news story and the person said, and again, this is information that's available, but if you don't know about it, or if it's not shared with you, you're not going to know that the regulation is different when we talk about national banks than it is when, with a mid-tier bank. And these individuals not knowing what the insured requirements are through the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation or through the National, um, what do they call it, Credit Union Association. What's, what is, what's safeguarded? And people saying, you know, this is a travesty, but it's a travesty because people don't know what their options are. And there's this now this shame factor. Why would you use that bank? Well, I use the bank because it's closest to me. I use the bank because the fees that are associated in doing business with them align with my lifestyle. We also see this, in, and when I say in the workplace, we, we would think with the advent of COVID, with people literally working offline, that they would feel more comfortable. But the Institute of Workplace Bullying talks about how more people feel like they are being harassed by their employer or their supervisor. And it's not the one-on-one -on -one a phone call, it's in Zoom sessions where people are being dressed down and made to feel less than or being humiliated. It's the instructor who has a class and uses a term that would be considered inappropriate, but they do it because they feel that no one's going to say anything and, oh, it's not recorded. So I, I see how it's seeping down. And for our younger people, it's distressful for them. For older people, you know, they're trying to navigate how can they be a proactive bystander and speak up, knowing that, especially in the workplace, they could in term, in the long term, be impacted. They could end up being some type of retribution or and what I have heard from people, that they've, been, they've become the outlier in the office. Um, they're no longer part of the in crowd or, or told what's happening. A phrase that's been tossed about is that we're living in the age of immunity. Um, maybe one of the costs of living in the age of immunity is that um, we're going to lose dignity. Um, if there are no consequences for bad behavior, for offensive behavior, for hurtful behavior, maybe that's where dignity goes to die. Um, uh, you know, and that's that that's something I've been thinking about and very frightened and disturbed about this notion that there aren't consequences that we have pretty clear evidence of bad behavior and unlawful behavior. And it doesn't seem that people are being held accountable for that. And um, if you don't believe you're going to be held accountable for your bad behavior, maybe your desire and interest in acting in a dignified, respectful manner goes away. Yeah. I, uh, so I, I, I'm agreeing with both. With, with both of you uh, to, to a certain extent. Um, but uh, there's some things that are 
the things that are kind of nagging at me that uh, I think that part of what's going on is that cruelty is being legitimized, okay? That being cruel is okay, uh, which the way a lot of us were raised was uh, that being cruel to others was not something that was socially acceptable. But I think that cruelty has become a feature, not, not a bug, so to speak, in a lot of settings. And uh, you see always with some terribly noble principle being asserted in the background, you see a lot of cruelty that's being done, you know? I, uh, last week I saw a complaint filed by five women in Texas about what they'd gone through with their pregnancies, okay, under the rules in Texas. To read what they went through was horrific. I mean, not just like, oh, too bad, but it, I mean, horrific, okay, under this, under the rule that's there. And of course, there's, the rule is put in place in this idea of, uh, you know, protecting the unborn and all that stuff. But when you read what these women went through, I don't know any human being who can't say to themselves, it's horrific. So then the next level becomes, well, the hospital didn't understand the law. No, the hospital tried to die, analyze what the law said and acted accordingly, okay? And so I, I don't give the people who wrote the law, you know, the, the pass of saying that people just didn't understand the law. There's another case I just read about a lady in uh, Florida where the, they won't do what they should do medically because of the law. Um, the doctors have told her straight up, you know, and, and it's just terrific. I, I look at the situation with regards to Jackson in Mississippi where people are trying to take away the power to, of the people of Jackson to actually elect the, the, the judges. In other words, the normal way that it will be centralized by the state, I think the attorney general and the government. It's cruel, okay? I mean, when you think about Jackson, Mississippi, and the problems of water that they had there, when you read about the money that was supposed to go to poor people that was used to build a volleyball gym for Brett Favre's daughter down at University of Southern Mississippi, you say people who do those things are just cruel. I mean, there's no way you get around the fact that they just wanted to be cruel to poor people. And this was money that was supposed to go for poor people. Um, these laws that are trying to basically outlaw LGBTQ, it's, you know, it's like, why are you being cruel to these people? Or drag queen, you know, this whole drag queen nonsense, which uh, is, uh, quote unquote, to protect children. I'm not worried about drag queens with children, you know. Where have the problems been with people with children? Seen a lot of situations of sexual abuse of children in churches, right? You know what I mean? I mean, that's been a real problem. And it hasn't really been addressed well enough. But, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's just... Uh, a level of finding somebody to be cruel to. I can speak about, you know, some people call the anti-woke thing is just basically the new version of anti-black. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just the same game, 
just to put another word in so you don't have to use that word. But, you know, the anti-CRT, you know, I mean, look, I went to school in elementary school in the 60s, right? Most of my life as I've been going along, I've been learning how much of what I was taught was nonsense. And it seems like what they're trying to do is have everybody go back to learning the nonsense as the way of seeing the world, you know, as opposed to learning the, com the, 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 com the complete nature of the history that's there. Or diversity, what, DEI being blamed for a bank? I want to tell you, when I was in business school back in the late 70s and 80s, and Japan was number one, because of the production stuff, I remember in my classroom, the production professor saying that one of the reasons America had gone behind was because there had been these women coming into the production workforce and there were uh, these minorities coming into the workforce. Yeah, I mean, I think it was even in the book that, that we, we used in the class, right? Sort of like if we'd only just had all us white guys here, this would have been okay, right? The fact that it was a white guy, W.E. Deming, who had taught the Japanese about statistical process control and just in time and all that stuff. And they actually took the ideas and made it work and made factories more efficient than Americans had ever dreamed of, completely left to the side, you know, just like, and, and, and I'm, I'm like, the cruelty is just amazing. I mean, it really is. So why? So why? Why? Why do we have so much more cruelty now? Um, I think one of the reasons is that uh, there's a real perception that I'm losing ground. That that the that the establishment, the people that really have benefited from um, misjustices in the past, are coming to the realization that demographics are changing, that power structures are changing, and that maybe. And this may or may not be true. And maybe their lives may be enriched if they'd simply open up and be more accepted. But the but the kind of the controlling paradigm is that we're going to lose, and um, we're going to lose a lot, and we're going to uh, we're not going to be able to retain for our heirs and our legacies what we were passed to from our parents. So um, that justifies certain kinds of cruelty because the stakes are really high. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I'll package it in a way that doesn't sound so cruel, but let's not forget what our goal is. And that's that's to preserve the status quo and even maybe roll it back a little bit. So, uh, uh, you know, so why is cruelty happening? Well, I think it's happening a little bit out of a desperation or perceived desperation, maybe an artificial desperation, an idea that this is a fixed sum and that, you know, it's, it's absolute win or lose instead of any possibility of enrichment or growth. But you're locked into this idea that, that I, you know, I, I don't want change. I don't want expansion. I'm going to lose. Uh, and if I ha have to do it in ways that hurt people, that's okay, because then maybe I'm not getting hurt. Well, and those are really, really important insights for all of us, <clears throat> because they remind us that <clears throat> while there may be political hay to be made in <clears throat> talking about rate changes in violent crime or street crime or whatever, <clears throat> maybe the much more important factor is the instances of humane treatment, the bullying that you talked about, Tina, not only in the workplaces and the schools, <clears throat> but out in life, 
in our professions, in the examples Ben gave in the healthcare industry, um, and, and it's being weaponized. Um, I come from a medical family. If anybody had suggested when I was growing up that four doctors could sue to stop the distribution of the most widely used abortion medication that's been in and on the market successfully for over 20 years, that would have been inconceivable. That parents could make teachers change the way they teach, the way they communicate, the way they treat children. Uvalde was not just a violent crime. It was an inhumane treatment. And all of these at their root, exactly as you've intimated, these are not just inhumane. These are racist. For DeSantis to pick a group of Central American immigrants, send them up to Martha's Vineyard, was not just a political point. It was pure racism, the way he treated those people. They were nothing. They were a means to an end. He really didn't care what happened to them or to the people that he dumped on the doorstep of Vice President Kamala Harris. This is a truly inhumane person. And I still remember our Hawaii Senator and, and Brian Schatz telling me why he had so much hope for Joe, Joe Biden in the 2020 elections. He said, you know, Chuck, anybody who's known Joe Biden and he's been on the political scene for 40 years knows he's a decent guy. They will attack him politically. They will attack him in any other way they can, but not as a person. He's a decent guy. You know, he may not be everything we need at the time we most need it, but we've gone in a much healthier direction in the last two, three years than we have before that. The inhumanity is not a forefront element of this administration. In fact, if anything, the opposite. How do we support that? How do we make that the tide that carries us? Take a stab at it. Um, all four of us are members of an organization that this year has committed to cornerstones of democracy. And part of that is civility. And the civility, and I say this often, the civility is not just us interfacing with the public as members of that organization, but how we treat one another and how we emulate the cornerstones of democracy, whether that's telling people about the, the realities of voting and why it's important to vote, telling people that they need to know who's on their school board. And if they aren't engaged, why aren't they? And they don't have to go to every meeting, but learn, ask, ask the critical questions, show up. I mean, I'm a former planning commissioner and it, I would hear people say, oh, this project, this just came up. No, it didn't. It started three to five years ago. We looked for feedback and people didn't come. So we assume because we've done the outreach and no one's responded that it's okay. If it's not okay, it's perfectly fine to voice your opinion. That's part of that dignity. We want you to be heard. And I know when I was a commissioner, I wanted to hear, I wanted to hear that you didn't agree with an application. 
or a project and why. And of course, tell it in a meaningful, truthful way for you, not the hyperbole of, oh my gosh, this developer's trying to kill my family. That, you know, tell me you don't like it because your children play at the playground across the street. It's that type of rhetoric in terms of the civility. It's also knowing that what's going on. You've mentioned, and I tell people, you know, are you ready for 2024? And depending on the person, I get the, well, what's in 2024? It's a presidential election, folks. Get ready. We're going to see in the next three to six months, things are about to change. We're going to see people come forward jockeying for position. You know, it, it's that type of knowledge. So, you know, I hate to thin your cat's cute. Um, I hate to think of it as being um, something that's far away and remote. It's not. It's something that we can get involved with now that we, all four of us, and uh, educate educate our colleagues, educate our peers, but educate our neighbors, talk about it, you know, and why you need to be engaged. So I'll stop there. Hey, David, any last thoughts? Yeah, I really like Ben's idea. You know, he cited those five instances of Texas. I think one thing we really need to do is, is, is to publicize the consequences, you know, to, to follow through. So the legislation gets, gets passed, people get hurt we need to hear those stories we need to we need to know what the real consequences are so i think we need to make a real effort to to pay attention to to what are the negative consequences what have we lost and to to publicize that great then last thoughts to wrap us up uh, i i i agree with 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 everyone um I just want to say is that if, as you're going along, you find yourself being quote unquote played by somebody, in other words, you thought this was going to work this way and then you find out that something else was going on, it's not your fault that you're getting played. It's their fault for playing you, okay? Uh, and you and your good faith trying to make something happen. Um, I've been played many times in my life and I know, oh, that was, you know, they played me very well there, okay? Congratulations, you know, but notwithstanding that, you know, I think speaking up and, you know, talking with others and I'm a real believer in holding people accountable in the sense of if you're not happy with what they're doing, vote them out. I mean, really, just vote them out. I mean, take your vote and you say, well, my vote doesn't matter. Well, if they used to win by 60%, now they're winning by 51%, they get a message. They get a message that something's happened. And obviously, if they lose, they get a real message, you know. But uh, but if you just, uh, just, you know, do not vote, that I think, uh, that I think is, is unfortunate. In addition to that, I would just add that in your places of where you are, to the extent possible, you should model what you want to the society to be by the way that you act. And that may be difficult, you know, at times. It may be very difficult sometimes. But I think that when people model that, you, the, the, the sense of human respect for each other, things like that, is transmitted. And it changes the energy in a space. I'll give you a simple example today. I mean, I went to send a package to my stepdaughter up in Canada at the post office, all right? 
And I did the, you know, the standard box thing, and I brought it to the guy. The guy said, wait a minute, I think I can do something for you. And he goes in the back and finds a box that puts it in as opposed to the standard package. Just And it saved me $25. He doesn't have to do that. But he did that. And it made me feel so good about him and that post office in that moment. It was, you know, and it's these modest things. Maybe it's because I got the gray hair now. They, you know, there's a poor old guy. Let me help him out. No, I don't know what it is. But whatever it is, it's like there are so many times there are these things like that in your day. Or sometimes I go to buy coffee at a place and they'll say, hey, the coffee's free. Okay? Because that's the only thing I'm buying. Right? Uh, you know, it's a nice thing. And it, and it, and it shows a kind of gentleness and respect towards you and you reciprocate with them you know and making modeling that as opposed to other things you know that that seem to get popular in the news i think is something that that we can do you know every day in how we operate in this life um that being said i know at times that there can be angry or rage Okay, and I'm still working through how I deal with anger and rage. I happen to have a cane, and apparently I try to keep it down, but apparently unconsciously I start slamming the cane when I'm speaking. And I was like, interesting, you know? So it's like how to uh, channel that rage or channel that anger when you see profound injustice, oppression, suppression, you know, and how to do something to, to change it, huh? I don't know the answer on that, but I, I'm, I'm not one who's going to say, don't be angry or don't uh, have some rage, because there are things that are worth being angry about. Or as uh, Fannie Lou Hamer said, what? She was sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? That is a healthy feeling. And, uh, and it's just trying to find a way to make things better in how you act each yourself and how you hold others accountable and call them out. You know, I think so. I think calling them out is a good thing to a certain point, you know, but what do I know? I'm just the guy sitting here at the table with the cat, but really the feeling I, 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 I know those moments when somebody like that guy at the post office treats me in a way that is recognizing my dignity and it makes me feel good. Fantastic. And, you know, <clears throat> Tina Patterson, Ben Davis, David Larson, thanks so much. <clears throat> May we all remember the cure, compassion, understanding, respect, empathy. Come back and rejoin us in a couple of weeks. We'll be here continuing our search for dignity. Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com. Mahalo.